Welcome, friends. It's Katherine Sidman, Sidco Cat, and this is my podcast. As a cannabis industry professional for the last decade, I have unique access to the experts, entrepreneurs, and enthusiasts who make this industry great. Join me and my guests as we dive into the people, processes, and products that make up the wild ecosystem of cannabis, psychedelics, and emerging medicines. In May of this year, you might have seen the study from University of Colorado and Leafly that found cannabis labels do not consistently align with the observed chemical diversity of the product. This isn't new or groundbreaking information to anyone who has been to a dispensary surrounded by a sea of products that visibly look different with the same strain names and all have a billion percent THC. It was on the tails of this article that I had this conversation with Eleanor Kuntz, co-founder of LeafWorks. She's a trained botanist with a passion for the identification, classification, physiology, structure, and ecology of plants. Lucky for us, cannabis is a plant. So Eleanor lends her skills to the service of the cannabis that we know and love and the cultivators and breeders who tend to it. LeafWorks is a plant genomics company conducting cutting edge research and developing commercial services for the cannabis and hemp markets. Their service to cultivators and breeders start with genetic testing to ensure that every plant is female and disease free. They can provide certification of the health and vigor of plants to use as validation during transactions. Finally, LeafWorks can help protect breeders by establishing a record of the unique cultivar in the LeafWorks Cannabis and Hemp Cultivar Registration Database. Did you get a little phylos triggered cringe there at the genetics database? Don't worry, this isn't that. In fact, this is just about the opposite of that. The goal with the LeafWorks database is that it establishes a time-stamped record of cultivar creation. As so many things in cannabis, standards that are common in other industries take some time to be adopted. Botanicals all over the planet are tracked and verified by certified reference material or vouchers. Eleanor can explain this and more during our chat. I enjoyed her passion for the plants, their stewards, and she's a smart and skilled scientist. For half this conversation, she was seamlessly juggling a toddler on her lap. I'm here for all of it. I really enjoyed getting to know Eleanor, and I think you will too. which is so great. Um, Are you going to the humble grace thing this evening? Yes. I will see you there. No, you won't. Where are you? So uh, I'm in some, I'm in Sonoma County right now in my house. I live in Pengrove. This might be distracting, but she's here. I have her this morning. So that's my, this is not distracting. That's my mini. She's doing some construction right now. Who is this? So, um, yeah, I, I have her on Fridays normally, but her dad's coming um, right after this, and I'm going to drive up. So I'll see you this evening. I'm so stoked about that. You know, I, I live in Trinity, so I'm like um, an hour and a half away, and came out here yesterday with my husband and just taken advantage of a couple nights at the coast. And we, oh my gosh, if you're looking for a place to eat, are you just going to come here and then drive straight home? No, I'm going to stay the night and then I'm going to, are you going to the Doc Ray thing tomorrow? I don't even know what that is. Well, you should. I'll give you info. It's another breeder okay. thing. Um, oh, it's okay. Willits. It's kind of, it's a little bit of a drive, but I mean, I'll, I'll tell yeah. you if you are interested. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. So I'll be in Eureka. I'll be actually in Trinidad this evening with a friend. Oh, fun. And then we I'll ate. drive back down to Willits and then come home. 
We ate at Brick and Fire last night in Eureka. And oh, cool. I've never so, eaten there. It was ridiculous. They're only open like three hours a day and you really need a reservation. Um, like we bit kind of, we didn't have a reservation. We sort of barely got seated on a Thursday and it was phenomenal. It okay, was a little mushroom fire. Brick and fire little mushroom tart thing that I was like, he came over and he goes, how is everything? I'm like, you know how everything is. Don't ask me how it is. It's, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Oh, that's Don't amazing. Ask stupid questions. I'm so excited. That's awesome. Well, I love a good restaurant. And there's so much good food up there too. Yeah, right? it is. It's a cute, it's a cute place because it's got all the eclectic kind of seaside vibes. Um, and for me, you know, it's only an hour and a half away or two hours really from my home, but where I am in Trinity County is very not cannabis positive. It's very, still very underground. There's no retail. We don't have any retail. We barely have any licensed cultivators. We're in a crisis with our planning department right now where they're three years behind on applications and whatnot i mean it's it's tragic right now and we're in the emerald triangle and it's yeah i mean it's it's got to change but the pace is just well the farmers there's and then the fires have just like kicked y'all in the pants too so that's been intense so we have farmers up there that i'm you know friends with work colleagues whatever it's been intense the last couple years just all around is that not the truth, friends, colleagues, whatever? I mean, I, it's so difficult. It's, it, I was talking to a guy yesterday who, you know, I sold equipment to <clears throat> in 2016 as I, I come from the equipment, mostly extraction space. So I'm really interested to okay. talk to you about the cultivation side because without good cultivation, there just is nothing else <laughs> in the industry. But I get so focused on the post-processing that it's nice to come back and talk about the farmers. Yeah, but, um, and I'm obsessive on the other end, where if you don't okay. have consistent product going in, and no. whether it be, you know, we, we we resort to clones because it's what we can do, but... Oh, she's know. already bringing out big guns. We resort to clones. I think I think on that, I think on that, we're going to just have you introduce yourself and go. Awesome. Because let's do it, girl. And here's all I want to say. Hello. Oh, my goodness. I get to go next week on vacation with my family, and I have two grandchildren. I have a oh, four-year-old wow. granddaughter. You and not look old enough to have two grandchildren. Oh, let's just pretend I'm not. But apparently <laughs> I am because I got them. That's um, awesome. Well, I'm an um, old mom, so I had her at 40, so, you know. Well, I started having... I started having kids at 20 and I had my last one at 38. So I, we have oh. eight children. Oh my gosh. And so I still have a 12 year old at home. Oh, that's Anna amazing. I you know what? It's love, working out. I love it. I'm actually like a little bit regretful. I didn't start earlier. So I'm like, I maybe can have one more. Yeah. So. It's, it's pretty, um, it's pretty fantastic. I mean, it's what, what else? What else is there really? But this age, preschool age, is my favorite because there's so many things to talk about. Two years old is so special. If you're a two-year-old, it's very special. I yeah, think. she's my my saving grace, I have to say. <laughs> Just in life in general. Um, yeah. I know that this feeling. This is actually the first time I'm going out of town without her. 
Oh my goodness. Okay, so no. that's so exciting. So there's going to be a sleepover tonight. Where are we sleeping over? Daddy's house. So she, Daddy okay. and I are not. We don't yeah. live in the same house. We have a very yeah, yeah, California relationship. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's exciting. So that's a place that we go all the time. So that's not. Yeah, it's going to be totally, totally easy peasy. But for mom, it's a little bit like I get the feeling four hours away. I get the feeling only one party in this equation is worried about this. Isn't that I funny what we do to ourselves? <laughs> and there's so much. Okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a mom story. And then when we get to the end, <clears throat> this is all very fluid. Like we're already doing it. I'm already recording because this is it, right? Awesome. When we get to the end, it's going to upload your video. So when I, you'll hear me kind of like, how do people get in touch with you? Tie off, and then uh, don't go away. Don't turn okay. off your computer right away. Just stay for like two minutes and it uploads it. Um, and I use the video so that we can connect visually, but I, I'm not recording the video. Awesome. Great. So it's it's there as a tool for us, for our I conversation, but we're not using it. Um, I go out of town a lot, probably a week a month. And um, my husband's full-time dad runs the show. It's been that way for a lot of years in my career, kind of off and on. And... It just is. But I said to my husband recently, I said, um, we have to talk about what the kids eat, what you guys eat when I'm gone. And he's like, that would be great. Because, you know, I used to when I was maybe not quite as tired, Eleanor. I would make like casseroles ahead. Like I would food prep, you know, and I would make big casseroles. And I food prepped even when I was in town, you know, so there would always be casseroles in the freezer or whatnot. Yeah. But the last couple times I'm like, you know, you guys, you know how to eat. I mean, it's a, it's a 18, 17, 13, 12, and a dad, perfectly capable human beings all. You know, we can, you guys can just handle this while I'm gone, right? I had two people <laughs> um, say to me, I said to my husband, we got to talk about how the kids eat when I'm out of town. He goes, oh, are you concerned about it? I said, well, to tell you the truth, I'm not really concerned, but it's been brought to my attention. <laughs> And he's like, what do you mean brought to your attention? He's like, I could have conversations with a hundred men and nobody, not one time, is ever going to say, are your kids eating healthy food when you're out of town? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just never going to come up. And he's like, how does this come up for you? And I'm like, you know, they go, oh, you're back. That's great. I knew you were gone. Your kids tell me they eat top ramen every night. He's like, why are women so mean? He's like, are these women your friends? Because if they were your friends, they would bring a casserole. They would just bring something healthier. Are they just picking on you? Is this what it's like for you gals all the time? I'm like, I, yeah, those are my friends. Those are my friends saying that. <laughs> oh, your kids are so glad to have you home because they're not eating top ramen and cereal. And I'm like... Which, how, was that for me or against me? <laughs> well, I know, right? And so then I'm going to go to my kids like a crazy lady. Don't tell people what you eat when I'm gone. <laughs> I know, that's so funny. Oh. It's crazy to be a mom. It's crazy to be a mom because I think we put so much pressure on ourselves, especially when I look at, um, and when I say when I say young moms, I mean you. I mean moms with young children, new, yeah. like in the thick of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, when you're in the thick of it, it's so, there's so many messages just coming at you constantly about your inadequacy and fatal pitfalls at every turn. Oh, yeah. You're going to like ruin them. It's like. <laughs> and everything's a stance. I don't you have that your power. Pedi I hate to break it to you, but they, they got their own trajectories. I'm just, you know, guiding them along the way, but. 
No, my older kids now, you know, I have the privilege, the unique privilege of having adult kids, 30, 26, 25. And um, they're more than happy to tell me about all the ways that I screwed this pooch. You know what I mean? And I'm like, this is a conversation for your sponsor or your therapist. Like, <laughs> I get it. And I'm sorry. And I love you. You're the best and- with what I have. You know? <laughs> That's it. If, if if I had a dime for every time I said, you know, I had the best of intentions, I would be a wealthy person. Yeah. Um, it's so easy to talk about those things because that's why we do everything else we do, isn't it? Oh, and yeah. That's why, we, that's why we're doing the rest of it. And speaking of the rest of it, Eleanor, I'm the worst because you haven't even introduced yourself yet. We're already no. having the conversation. I no, do this all great. the time. Well, I'm for- Eleanor Coons. I am CEO and co-founder of of LeafWorks, which is a botanical identification company. We specialize in using DNA-based technologies to identify what people have in hand in the botanical trade. And so we're really asking basic identity questions within plants. So in cannabis-specific, basic questions would be things like sexing, um, what kind of um, THC alleles do plants have, all the way up to what cultivar is this, what strain is this, and then out into the natural products market, you know, what plants are traded. So we work both in the greater botanical space and have really dived pretty deeply into the cannabis and hemp side of things. When I hear genetics testing, I'm going to say what should be an F word in our industry, which is phylos. Why is that the first thing that comes to my mind? And I know that that's annoying to you, probably that I brought it up because that's what is that? Do you get that? Do you get people that have been hurt by that? And then yeah. does that reflect badly? Yeah. So, so can we just right away tell me how much you're not that? Oh, absolutely. Or can I tell you what a bad person you are? I think it's complicated because genetics is something that is very misunderstood and everything is kind of lumped into the same category, even though there's just as much variation in what you can do with genetics as there is variation in what you can do with chemistry. Sure. And so I understand that um, trepidation and that link to phylos, and it's because they were really the the first ones out there in the community um, preaching that they could offer something of value. Mm-hmm. And I think their downfall was that instead of just being very transparent with their customers, what their long-term plan was, they did a little bait and switch. We're a Send us all your genetics. We're making this beautiful map of the entire cannabis genome. Send us all your genetics. Send us all your genetics. Oh, guess what? We're going to start patenting the shit out of all these genetics. Yeah, and, and we're so- going to start breeding and competing with you. I think that's, yes. that's for me, the, yes. the biggest um, faux pas. And, you know, you don't want to be in a position to compete with your clients. That's a bad business model. 100%. That's that's a huge (laughs) no-no that they did, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, And I think the issue is, you know, they really had long-term visions of breeding. And they had those visions from their inception. Um, If you look back at pitches that they were giving to future investors or communications that they were giving to their investors, you know, that's, that's where you're going to get 
the real nitty gritty of what an organization is doing. And their long-term vision was always to breed. And so it was very um, duplicitous to go into the community and say, we're here to protect you. We're here to protect legacy genetics. And oh, by the way, we're going to cherry pick the things that now that we have so much information are the most valuable and we're going to run with them ourselves. So long. See you later. (laughs) And that's, that's just, that's, how do you say this yeah. gracefully? That's bad on so many levels. It's bad. Well, and it was terrible. And I and I think it creates a challenge for good operators in the space. It creates a challenge for you at LeafWorks because you have to come in to jerks like me who are remembering something that happened five years ago and say, you said your genetics, tell me how you're not phylos. In fact, to vet, so, so you and I just realized that we're going to be at the same event this evening. Yeah. And um, when I was invited to that event, um, I sent it to my Trinity County uh, Agriculture Alliance. I sent it to my grower friends in my close community and said, do you know these companies? Are these good companies? And they're like, oh, I've heard good things. Like, these are good things. And then somebody wrote back and goes, is this more Philo shit? And it was, you know, and so that's got to be a challenge for you in your work a little bit. It's absolutely a challenge. And it's long lasting. I mean, good PR comes and goes. You get a pat on the back. But bad PR, even if it's from someone who is an adjacent company, sticks. And, you know, yep. people remember that. And I think that, you know, it's that it's the momentum of an organization. So if your momentum really, you know, like Phylos was to breed, that's a different place. And the nice thing about our organization is, you know, we really come at it from the botanical, like the point, the mission of our organization is botanical identification. So when I was working in the natural product side of things, it became very clear that the biggest issue in botanicals globally was fraud. Some of it's very purposeful. I'm going to put these adulterants into this botanical because it's going to bulk up my weight and increase the value of my product. And I'm going to make this like CRISPR. Is this like GMO? Is this, what is this? It's more like, I'm going to sell you gin. I'm going to sell you ginkgo. Okay. Ginkgo is quite a, quite a valuable herb relatively speaking, but I'm going to put in a couple hundred, I'm going to, if I send you, like, if I'm going to sell you a thousand pounds of ginkgo, I'm now going to put in a couple hundred pounds of celery powder. Oh, so they're cutting it. So this is just like, just like cocaine and baby formula. That's what we're talking about here. Yeah, it's just, it's just fillers. I've seen the movie. I understand. Yeah, it's just fillers. It's like, this thing is cheaper, so I'm going to add it to the mix. And the traditional ways we use to identify plants is chemistry. But the issue with that is that plants have overlapping chemistry, right? Lemons in the lane, cannabis in the lane. Yes. Yes. And so if you're using these chemicals to ID your plants, it's not only, it's not only a very complicated process, but it, it can be pretty easy to defraud. And these individuals who are doing this are exceptionally savvy, very, very smart and know what they can put into the mix so that those adulterants are invisible. So you definitely have that purposeful adulteration within botanicals, but then you have inadvertent adulteration, which happens all the time. So um, Sambucus is a really good example. It's elder, elderberry, okay. an exceptionally powerful medicinal <gasps> herb. Um, and there are multiple species of this herb. I'm going to let this dog out. Hold on. Okay. Oh, it's a good boy. Okay. 
Sorry, that's the bad dog. <laughs> if that's the bad dog, you're blessed. <laughs> My good dogs bark constantly. She's just really loud when she wants something. So with Sambucus, so this elderberry, there's multiple species that co-occur and only one of them is medicinal. And so you have collectors that inadvertently will collect a sister species and add it to the mix. And so it's not purposeful adulteration, but you're not getting the... the the medicinal plant that you're paying for. And so that's that's where I started was really realizing in the entire botanical supply chain, identity was one of the fundamental issues and we could solve this because I have a background in genetics and my co-founder Karen was in one of the labs that really dove into um, large scale sequencing and how do you do large scale sequencing affordably? Yes. For example, how do you do that? And so she has a technical background in how do we do these things so that we can actually pay for them, right? If it costs $10,000 a pop, something that is worth $100 on the market, that sure. math does not sure. add up. No, so not at all. we moved into um, using these DNA-based technologies that we could do rapidly and at an uh, affordable price point to identify these plants. So that's where we come from as an organization is we're really a third party testing lab for quality. And when did you guys get started? 2016. Wow. Okay. So that was early days. So you yep. were around when Phylos did their business. Oh yeah. And it was very challenging because they were getting all this business and you know we knew in the background what they were really doing. And that's a, that's a tricky spot to be in, right? Sure, it's very sure. hard to be the one calling out your competition. Well, because yes, I mean, I, it's interesting. I think, um, I have a very good colleague these days. I'm going to shout out Max, Max Pueblo Dubin from across. Um, but I came in, when I came into the industry, I found the leading brand and I made a chart with like their shit, my shit, check, 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 check. And I came in hard and, you know, my first correspondence with Max was a cease and desist letter from his lawyer. And what I learned, and I was, I was younger and um, had a different mindset. And what I learned is that, you know, I need to be able to promote my product on the merits of my product not on, you know, the comparison to somebody else necessarily. And it's the same thing, you know, that we encourage our, our children. We encourage each other, like, don't sell yourself. You know, you don't go into your boss's office and say, I want to raise because Patsy is lazy who always shows up late and I don't show up late. I want to raise because I bring this value to the company. You know, what is, what are the things, the, the admirable things, but when you have a straight bad actor, yeah, it's who's who's kind of almost um, er eroding the marketplace opportunity for your company. Yeah, because people are now being scared of that technology. That's stressful, and I think also uh, that's genetics is not something that I understand well. You know, and I think it is complicated, and it's different science for people. So I'm sure that there's a, just a lot of education that you have to do. When you're there is a lot of education, clients. and I, I kind of equate it to like nuclear technology in this very um, abstract mm -hmm. way where, mm -hmm. you know, nuclear technology can be used to generate a nuclear reactor to generate yeah. electricity, yeah. or it can be used in very fine scale in medicine to combat cancer. 
Sure, right? it's, all, sure. it's all abstractly the same technology, but you may yeah. have very different feelings about those two different sides of how you use that. Yeah. And so genetics is really the same thing. And genetics is just a language. We can understand how plants are related. That's one of the things I'm exceptionally fascinated by and have done a lot of work on. And that's really a big part of what we do at our organization. You can use genetics to produce a GMO, right? Like those yeah. are very different use cases for really right. the same technology. And so I really want to, uh, or really think about genetics as a language that helps you understand the, the natural green world. And that's sure. an amazing, I don't know. It's just so fascinating. You can, you can know how plants talk to each other, you know, how they interact, you know, about their history. It's just, it's a super cool way of interfacing with them. Tell me about how, how a farmer would use your services, like from, from the abstract, these are our goals, this is what we want to do, but to the actual nitty gritty of how they engage with your service. Yeah. Are you sending samples in the mail? Are you picking them up? Like, talk to me about that process a little bit. Yeah, so in the, in the big picture, so starting with seeds, one of the things we do is we have panels of molecular markers that can tell you th things about plant identity before the plant has grown up and shown you its identity. So for instance, we can screen seeds very early on and tell you this one's going to produce these chemicals and it's going to have this, you know, it's going to lean towards these chemical profiles or it's going to lean towards this architecture. It's going to be tall. It's going to be short. It's going to be branching. So we can use those tools to really propel breeding into a particular direction that that individual or organization has interest. Like if they want really tall plants, we can help them move their population that direction. They but once you've, once you've tested the seed though, that seed is gone, right? No. So what we do, well, okay, we test okay. some things. So what you would do okay, is you would germinate okay. your seeds in this case, you're going to germinate 10,000 seeds, okay. but you only have room for a thousand seeds. So what we can do is we can test those 10,000 seeds and say, these 1,000 are the most likely to have the traits you're interested in based on the markers that we have. So then you Sorry. call those plants so that you can, you can just focus on those 1000 plants and then move them forward. So it actually just, amplifies. So that's a huge, that's a huge undertaking. It is. It's a very, and we've been, we've been designing molecular markers. You know, we've been in this since 2016 and one of our advantages is to really have a wide diversity of plants that we've had access to, um, both through my own personal network and then through our extended network with um, breeders and long-term um, plant collection holders. And it's it's been a really fun project to do that. And so that's you know that's like a very big picture way of interfacing with us to do breeding projects. But it's that ground level. And then as you move on, you know, if you're using... Well, right let me go back to breeding. Let me go back to breeding really quick. Mm -hmm. So I've got, I've, I'm germinating all these seeds. And let's, and what would be, what would be an appropriate sample? How many? It, it really depends on, on the organization, which is a hard thing. We have smaller breeders who are germinate a hundred seeds and we'll mm -hmm. help them pull through those to get down to the 10 or 20 that they really want and, to manage. Okay. So I have a hundred and I'm going to send you a leaf cutting from yep an early stage vegetative piece of that plant we're from 100 grind, yep we're gonna grind it up into dna and then we're gonna 100 times 
Yeah. A hundred times you're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And, um, Oh, I bet this works. I bet this works well. If you have metric, can you get with the barcodes? Is that, does that help you? Oh yeah. Um, and then a, yeah. And a lot of times we're dealing with plants before they go in so that then you're only, you know, putting in those plants that you're actually going to grow or oh, you know, sure. that you're going to call. So it's, it's, it's really that first interface kind of like if you're germinating seeds and you want to know which ones are female, we can do that work too. So same thing. We're going to, we're going to test them individually. We're going to say these 40 are males and these 60 are females. So you're going to, you know, chuck your yeah. boys generally yeah. and those females. And what's the turnaround time like and the cost? For the sexing, it depends on scale, what the cost is, yeah. but it's about $15 a plant. It can, it can okay. drop down um, from there depending on, you know, your volume. And the turnaround time is between two and five days. It's generally more like one and a half to two days once we wow. receive the lab. So it's very quick. What is your lab like? What is the facility like? We are in a really sweet old medical office and we've got two units. So one unit is the lab and it's a fully functional genomics lab. So we have all of the PCR and sequencing and those types of um, equipment. And then we have a little office in the same space. So it's a cute little Bauhaus building. And yeah, that's a nice thing. About samples- it doesn't take up much space. Those machines yeah. are pretty small and can do some powerful things. I think that we all became familiar. I, I used to sell PCR equipment, so I was a little bit familiar with that process during COVID. I think we heard PCR more times in two years than I'd heard it in my entire career, selling yeah. the equipment, writing articles. Um, I know that uh, PCR is something really interesting. There's um, mycosymbiote uh does pcr testing on uh algae and mushrooms all over the world and he has this like portable p i mean it's a really approachable technology in a way that does really amazing stuff um so i think that that's it's interesting to see what people are even doing in the field so we have uh, all these samples send them to you we get a turnaround really fast and that's more for um, that would be something like I imagine sexing is some of the the more simple work you do, yeah. And then it gets more complicated the from there. Floor. Yeah, it's the it's the ground floor of the sex of the work that we do. Um, sexing is just another identity state, right? So if it's we're looking at bot- botanical identity, plant identity, it's it's one of the more straightforward. I mean, of course, there's a lot of complication when you really dive in with females that become male and we see males that become female which we almost never talk about because who keeps enough males around to see it right right sure but you can see that from the early the early samples you can see that that might happen in the genetics um herming is actually exceptionally complicated and it's something that we're really diving down into right now and in the next couple months, I'm hoping to have some more data to support some of this. Um, but we have a lot of preliminary data that's looking like there's multiple mechanisms, um, so multiple ways in the genetics that you can produce a hermaphrodite. Yeah, you know what's interesting to me, and it's the same. It kind of goes back to the conversation that we were having about <clears throat> mommyhood and other things like that. I am fascinated by nature versus nurture. I'm fascinated by the relationship between this bunch of genetic material that has such informative power, like informing 
how tall you're likely to be and how the color of everything and the shape of everything and the mechanisms of everything and the functioning of everything and the tendencies to it. But I'll tell you, my friend, I've raised human beings that are made of the same genetic soup. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, all the stuff I find at home, it's how I make these people. And uh, it's the same, same inputs, but they are radically different human beings from the get from the you look at their face after they're born and the way they cry or the way they you know seek comfort or whatever different 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 you spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff talk to me about and we'll we'll keep it keep it simpler and on topic and we'll talk about cannabis but i'm really thinking about kids right now <laughs> but when we talk about cannabis tell tell me about nature versus nurture if if i give you a seed and i take a seed and i give a seed to somebody else are we likely to end up with the same adult plant or is it more dependent on our inputs and our cultivation methods yeah well in cannabis this is a very complicated um topic in general a Cannabis has this um, capacity that we call plasticity in genetics, where this the same plant can express very differently based on its environment. It has this plastic way of mm -hmm. expressing. And that's a beautiful thing. And it's an exceptionally challenging thing if you want sure. consistency. And so I, I'm going to go at it at two different ways. So the, the basic thing to say about seeds is that cannabis seeds are not very homogenous. So even if you have, it's kind of like humans, right? Like yourself, That's a lot like humans. that yeah. you're, you're making these kids or making these seeds, the more differences you have between the two of you, the more differences you're going to see in the seeds. And so if you take okay. two radically different plants or plants that are very heterozygous or have lots of variation within themselves, those progeny are going to reflect that diversity. And so they're not very likely to be the same seed to seed. So you're definitely going to see variation. And so that's a really awesome thing in a lot of ways. But if you want to start, if you want to start growing from seed and you want to start being able to, you know, plant seeds and know they're going to germinate in 30 days, they're going to flower you know, 62 weeks after germination, they're going to be yeah. roughly four feet tall. Right. They're going to produce X, Y, and Z chemicals. We just really don't have any or very few seed lines that are consistent enough or homogeneous enough to do that. You know, wow. and that's something that as we are allowed to breed at scale, we can get to more quickly. But with a plant that is an obligate outcrosser, right? So it can't self it. You can't really self naturally a cannabis plant. It, it takes a lot longer to get to a homogenous seed line than it would in, an, in plants where you can actually self those plants. And so that's a challenge with cannabis because it is a dioecious plant that has to have two different plants coming together mm -hmm. to make its progeny. Yeah. We have all these tricks, feminization and all kinds of things to kind of work around that, but they come with their own series of downfalls, which we could get into at some point, but I don't think is in this moment necessary. So, you know, if we had more consistent seeds, 
we would have something that you could sell, you know, at your local hardware store and have all the traits on the back of that seed packet and know, okay, I know roughly when this stuff's going to germinate, how tall it's going to be, what kind of chemistry I'm going to get. And then you could see with those homogenous seeds, if you put them in different environments, you're going to get variation. And so this is a concept in genetics. It's in, in our human language, we call this nature versus nurture. Mm-hmm. And in genetics, we call it's an equation where P, the phenotype, is is driven by not only the genetics, but also the environment. So P equals G times E. So the genetics is never in isolation. The genetic component, the actual base pairs that you have in your DNA are one part of the phenotypic equation. And that's true of anything. And cannabis has a really strong E effect. So the environment Mm -hmm. really plays into that phenotype. And that's, and that's when we're talking about terroir yes. and, and, and that's the beauty of it. And that's why you're not going to get in Adelanto the same, it's the same flower that you're going to get in Humboldt, in Trinity, in Mendo, or in Oregon, or in Washington. I mean, yeah, all sorts of Jamaica, different beautiful places. Or in France, right? So <laughs> or in Florida. It's actually beautiful because what it means is, but you have to hold the genetics constant. And so that's the issue is right now, there's not, unless you're using a clone, the genetics aren't constant. So it's very hard to compare seeds because the variation is there in the genetics and the variation is there in the environment. So that's confounding. You can't really understand what's driving that phenotype. But if you have the genetics as a clone and you're holding that constant and you plant it in different areas, this is a classic genetic experiment called the reciprocal transplant. So if you plant it in different areas, then you can see what is the effect of that environment on the phenotype because we're holding the genotype constant. Mm-hmm. And these are some of the, the kinds of experiments that, that we're doing at LeafWorks to really understand what are the underpinnings of identity that lead to various traits we're interested in. And then we work on best agricultural practices, which is that second part. What can we do now that we know that... Like, let's say we have a, like, there's a, a plant that subcool bread called locomotion. Mm-hmm. That cut, if you grow it here, um, if you grow it in Southern California, it's a beautiful green color. Yeah. If you grow that plant up north where it gets a cold snap at night during flowering, it has hot pink trichomes, like fuchsia bright trichomes. Right, but that's an environmentally modulated trait where you have to have that cold snap to get that color. But that's awesome because if you understand how the genes and the environment play, then all of a sudden you can make these choices where I can sell a pink plant for a higher dollar than I can sell this lime green plant. Right, right. And so I'm going to choose to grow this on a farm where I get that cold snap so I can now produce a, a plant that I'm going to be able to, you know, really put into the market and make some traction with. And so that's some of the more long-term work that we're doing is really once you understand the genetic underpinning and how those genetics play with the environment, then you can really move into the terroir aspects and saying, okay, I have this farm, what's going to perform best in my environment for the kinds of things I want to grow, whether that's industry 
Butler mm -hmm. or, you know, anything. Well, and how about uh, one of the things I've been hearing a lot of, because I, I'm a, I'm a rosin consumer. Um, I love it. You know, I've sold, I've sold more BHO equipment than I know what to do with. And I love BHO, but I'll take some good bubble hash. I'll take some good pressed bubble any day. And one of the things that, um, I talk to with with my colleagues who are in that space is genetics for different kinds of extraction. So yeah. genetics for washing, genetics for BHO, genetics for CO2 extraction, genetics for ethanol extraction. These trikes are different. Their attachment is different. The cuticle is different. The shape is different. Like the the all of it. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be out of my depth very quickly, but you're nodding. Talk to me about people coming to you with those sort of concerns. Like I want a good washer. Yeah. So we work with organizations that let's say they've got 10 different plants and they want to have a consistent flavor profile that exists in a jar flower, exists in a bubble hash and exists in a fresh frozen product. Right. And but the genetics that are going into those product lines are not the same plants. OK, and so, you know, we do a lot of that kind of work where you're helping people either call through the different variation that they have access to to make the best decisions about which plants to use for which purpose. And then also saying, oh, I need this. And so we have a, a variable population. And so we're going to screen those plants and then, you know, help you breed towards plants that are, you know, have like that sandy architecture that's really good for ice water hash. Or sure. various, various other morph, morphological characteristics within those plants, in addition to the chemical profile that lend itself towards high efficiency or high yielding extractions of various flavors. So, and, and tell me about, um, boy, there's so, there's so much covered in that. Um, terpene profiles, like how it, it's all there really, isn't it? And then it's a matter of growing it in the optimal conditions to express every, all the genetic potential. Yeah. I mean, it's complicated. I think the hard thing is it's impossible to make it not complicated. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many inputs and then we don't have consistency. So it's like complication on complication on complication. And we're, we're learning, right? There's so much learning that we need to do. And we just haven't had it. It's like anything, you know, if you want to be able to do 10 pull-ups, you got to start doing pull-ups, right? You're not going to be able to do it right away. And it's the same thing with all of the genetic questions you're just asking. You know, we haven't had very much time on task to get to some of these consistent answers. And with the genetics, one of the issues in my worldview is the genetics companies that are in this space are not collaborative. Mm. It's very... Isn't that disappointing? It's I mean, I get it. Disappointing. I get it. Can I can I say though that that's not it's not unique. I'm sure it isn't unique to cannabis, but I think when I think about um, our friends with testing labs, you know, just regular like potency pesticide, whatever. How wonderful would it be if we had standardized methodology across the industry like we do? Like if you're a phlebotomy lab, if you test people's blood for liver enzymes and 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 fasting blood sugar whatever your doctor is testing yep. you don't market yourself as innovative uh, innovative proprietary standards 
I don't want a lab testing my liver enzyme, Eleanor, with proprietary standards. I want standardization across the pharmaceutical industry, across the globe. I want my FDA GMP to be the same as my EU GMP, to be the same as Health Canada. And those should be consistent. Those should be transparent. But but we make it like it's this magical, magical thing. And it does a disservice to the industry. And frankly, I think we're all going to look a little silly about that. Well, you know coming. what I mean? Well, it is coming. And this is one of the things that is actually one of my greatest frustrations. And people have heard me on different speaking platforms. I mean, I say this all the time. We know how to do this. We do this with yes. thousands of other plants. This one is no different. And so the fact that we're in this weird cannabis lane is quite frankly kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And the natural product world offers us an exceptional amount of guidance and knowledge about how to move forward with a botanical. I mean, this is not from Mars. This is a plant. It's a plant <laughs> medicine. We should treat it like a plant and we should treat yeah. it like medicine, which is one of the things that I'm really proud of us at LeafWorks is we're a team of botanists. We're the only genetics company that is a team of botanists. I love it. I and love it. we approach we approach the plant in that way. And so that is everything from how we deal with cultivars and our cultivar registration and really taking in and documenting bio, biological diversity. This is not novel. We do this. We've been doing this since the days of Linnaeus, right? We take botanical pressings of these things. We describe them. We put it out into the world so other people can reference them correctly so that when Dr. Ethan Rousseau has really great positive prognosis with a patient using a specific plant, and I may be a provider somewhere else who's got patients that have that problem, I know I'm using the same plant so that then if that patient doesn't have the same positive response, I know that it's because of the variation in the patient. So I can try something new. But if you're not holding that plant constant, you it's the same thing. It's confounded. You can't know if it's the difference in the plant or if it's the difference in the person that's driving the difference in a positive or negative outcome. And so those kinds of things are so standard in botany. It's exceptionally frustrating that we've had so much resistance and a lot of it is due to prohibition and and we're all trying to hold on to our O's as cannabis comes into as this as we're still an emerging market we're still an emerging market can we start there we didn't have any adult use adult use i know there was a robust medical program god bless all the medical providers I'm sorry that all this adult use stuff messed it up in every single state. It's going to get worse. That's the, that's the answer there. And I'm not the boss of it. I'm just the bearer of bad news. So yes, all those things, but we really are only 10 years into the adult use market and only in a fraction of the states here and a a very small fraction of the countries in the globe. So this is still an emerging market. It's still a baby market. And right now we're all like this and we're all holding the sand as hard as we can. And if I have a handful of sand, I'm holding it as hard as I possibly can. And if I think I have, if I, if I am the second or third generation legacy grower and I have something special, I'm not inclined to give that away to the community real quick. And I don't, um, and that would be my mindset. I'm speaking for myself if I were in that position. You know, how do I <clears throat> take the work of my family for generations or my community for generations 
and and I don't want to just say monetize that, but 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 have reward from all the work of generations. Like I don't think it's dirty to say monetize. I don't think that's a no, bad thing to say. I want those not. people to have the wealth that is coming into our industry. How do you do that without giving it away? You know what absolutely. I mean? And how do you do that without somebody just going around you? And and yeah. and and it's so challenging. How how do you have that conversation with customers who you know could benefit from your service but are holding on so tight that they can't even don't want to let you in much less anyone else yeah i mean it is a exceptionally potent situation for people and i really understand and that is something that is very important to us at leafworks is championing the community that has stewarded this medicinal plant through a very hard time and have risked their own personal liberty to maintain some of these plants and have moved populations forward and done an amazing amount of breeding, even though there's a lot of work to go. Like I say, there's a lot of work to go, but that's not to speak badly about all of the work that's happened. The reason why we have so much diversity in this plant is because of those breeders and because of individuals who've been working forever, you know, in the, in the shadows. And so I think the easiest way to really approach this is, is a deep understanding of the fact that if you don't document it, it doesn't exist. Mm. And if Mm. you don't document it, someone else can steal it and say it is theirs and you have no recourse. Mm. And so that's one of the reasons why we founded Candor. So when we first started LeafWorks, um, you know, we weren't just, we're not just working on cannabis. So I'm going to use my ginkgo example again. We wanted, we were in process of making a ginkgo identification test. Ginkgo is pretty easy to ID. There's very few plants in that species. So it's a very easy thing. But when you're trading it botanically, you're not selling ginkgo leaves. You're selling tea cuts and powders. So you still have to be able to dive into those genetics. And the first thing you do in order to make a robust test is I'm going to go to an herbarium. I'm going to get accessions of ginkgo that someone has identified that's an expert. This is more, this makes more sense if it's something like echinacea, where there's really only one or two um, species of echinacea that have medicinal value, but there's, you know, 20 or 30 species that occur, you know, like mm-hmm. flowers, you know, and Pretty they're hard flowers. to ID sometimes. And so you go to an herbarium, you get an herbarium pressing of the species that you're interested in, and then all of the sister species so that you can identify which one is which, and they're related, right? But I need that herbarium voucher as my starting material. So that herbarium voucher is a classic botanical tool. It's basically free, right? It's, I mean, it's paper and pressure. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. pressing it, and that's an immutable thing. Everyone's talking about blockchain. It's like, blockchain's really good at tracking stuff, but it is mm-hmm. not good at telling me what's in the container. And every mm-hmm. time you switch mm-hmm. from hand to hand, what's in that container can change. So you know who 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 handed it off to who, but you don't know if the integrity of the material is is the same as the beginning. And so what that voucher does is it's, you know, it's like if you find a new species, the first thing you do is make a voucher of it. This is a mm-hmm. pressing. I'm going to describe it. And so within the cannabis space, if you have really unique and special genetics, vouchering those plants within the herbarium is a very easy, cheap, and first way of saying, putting a stake in the ground. This is my plant. This is what it looks like. These are the characteristics. And here's this immutable piece of evidence 
But then if some seed company two years later, four years later, 10 years later says, I have this really awesome plan, I'm going to commoditize and put a patent on, and you can't grow it anymore, you can go back to an herbarium voucher and mm-hmm. say, actually, mm-hmm. that's my plant. And you can't make and that patent <clears throat> is refuted. And and so how does that work? How does that work? How, how is it, is it possible right now that farmers think that they have proprietary genetics that are being actively patented by somebody else? Of course. I mean, and, and course. the hard thing with patenting is, you know, there's also like a reality check and it's very, it's, it's kind of a challenge because a lot of people have problems patenting life. Mm, patenting mm. plants in general, mm. unless it's their special cannabis, right? So there's a conflict there. Well, because we do, I mean, the cannabis community, again, is tends to be, and I'm speaking of more legacy growers, but we tend to be people who, not that I'm a cultivator, but um, non-GMO, Korean natural farming, we're making our own compost teas, we're making our own, you know, we're, we're rejecting a lot of the results of genetics work, you know what I mean? With CRISPR and GMOs or whatever, like we're not feeding that to our kids. It feels weird to lean into it in this space. Do you get some of that where there's a disconnect? It's a conflict for a lot of people because they're very anti-GMO. They're very anti-patenting life, except for their special strain. It's mine. (laughs) And I think there's some reality check. You know, if it's been in the market for more than a year, it is not eligible for patent. You can't patent. Okay. Okay. Right. And so I think people are also selling the hope of being able to patent things that you can't patent. Yeah. And so that yeah. to me is also like not healthy or good for anybody. It's like selling them hope that doesn't exist. And there are definitely plants that are patentable and there's people who are holding very special material and documenting it is really important because that's the way that you prove ownership and it's the way that you can go back and really prove that you know and it's 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 an easier thing to use to like refute a patent that someone else is claiming that prohibits you from being able to use your own material yeah so for instance we see a lot of utility patents in the cannabis space where they're like we're patenting 10 percent i'm making these numbers up 10 percent thc six percent cbg you know so it's these ratios and okay, the utility okay. patent basically says we own all the plants that have this ratio of chemistry, uh, which is ludicrous because they're saying there's only one way. Well, and they're saying there's only one way to get there. But if you look at the herbarium, you can say, "Oh no, there's seven plants that have similar ratios, and they all have different evolutionary backgrounds." So you can't patent that plant, right? So it's it's just a tool, and it's a tool yeah. that that gives credit to those people who have been stewarding that material and leafworks whenever we take in genetic material we always interface with candor and make a voucher because it's what gives our genetics street cred it's what gives our genetics a rooting in reality so you'll immediately so candor is a separate mm-hmm. it's a, a non um, it's a nonprofit, okay. and a lot there are many, many, many plants in Candor that LeafWorks has no, we don't have any working relationship with. But okay. any plants that LeafWorks takes in, we absolutely put a voucher in Candor because it was well, good science. 
Like if you're doing science, like if I'm going to go collect like this elderberry example, I'm going to go collect elderberry. I'm going to make vouchers of my populations because then later, if the data seems weird, we can go back to those vouchers and say, oh, guess what? This data is weird because when the expert looks at these vouchers, 10% of them are hybrids, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. You can, you, you, it's a, it's just good science. It's a reference point. It's like if you're doing cell culture or, or cancer work, mm-hmm. you keep those those cancer cells and culture so that you can reference them later when you find you find something else about them. You're not. It's not just in the ether. You have something tangible that you can dive into to answer the next question that comes up. This is so important. All of this tracking, all of this data is so important because we're going back to cannabis as medicine and the power of consistency and how many doctors, how many physicians dismiss cannabis as medicine because it's not repeatable. You know, you're smoking a joint. Every time you smoke a joint, it's not going to be the same thing. It's going to be different constituents of whatever. This can't really be called medicine because it's botanical. I mean, it's a, that's not, that's kind of the Western, Western medicine mindset versus traditional medicine mindset, but it's still pervasive. And I think through science, we can, we can address those concerns legitimately mm-hmm. and say, well, we can have a repeatable, producible, you know, we can produce a repeatable product that can address these issues. And there's power in that. Absolutely. And it's, and it is an issue that many medicinal plants have. And so that's actually mm-hmm. one of my most, it's another thing I say very often, if we cared as much about other medicinal plants as we do about cannabis, we'd all be in a better place. Oh my goodness. If we cared as much about any fucking thing at the grocery store as we do about cannabis, how many people are sitting there, you know, at the future, future 4200 forum complaining about complaining about, you know, the reading COAs, pouring over COAs of whatever's in their vape cart. And then their hand is in a McDonald's bag that just got delivered from Uber Eats. Like, I was looking at the news the other night and they're like, do you know that there's lead in baby food? And I'm like, motherfuckers. That's conventional strawberries. Don't, don't, because you're not going to want to know what you find out. And it's not enough just to buy organic and everything else. Like I want to know about my food at the level that I know about my cannabis, safer than your vegetables. I mean, I absolutely think that they nailed it with that because We do know, and I don't think that's an overburden on cannabis. I think it's reflective of the underburden that we have put on our food producers. You know what I I mean? Food and pharmaceutical, right? Yeah. I mean, it it took a lot of moms to figure out that there was mercury in vaccines decades ago. It took moms to figure that out. Moms who said this isn't going to be acceptable. It wasn't like they were coming to us and saying, oh my goodness, there's heavy metal in your infant's vaccines. We're going to fix that for you. That's not how that went down, you know? So, um, so I, I think that this rigor that we're seeing around cannabis is smart and good for the plant and it's going to be good for people. And we want I mean, I want it to also be good for the farmers and the legacy producers, but for the community, it's important. Have, have, has the cannabis genome been mapped? Uh, there is no public available map that's really very good. There's a couple rough versions that are out. And the other issue is, you know, so we have we have our own cannabis genome. Yeah, We have our own map. We utilize public information so that we are starting to build consistency. But that's one of the problems with nobody talking to each other and everyone being in their own little silo. Like, 
this is my stuff. Um, yeah. Go away. Uh, it, it's not very conducive to growing, right? I'm, science is about standing on the shoulders of giants, using the material, mm-hmm. the information, and the intellectual reach that happened before you to then reach further. And you know, we're going to get there, but we're just so we're in an infantile state when it comes mm-hmm. to any kind of genetic resources. And you know, I, I think about it. when I went to grad school on one university campus. There were 10 labs working on corn. And we've been working on corn for decades. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine at one university, there's 10 labs. Imagine how many labs are working on corn globally. Thousands. And we're still making genetic strides. Very small and incremental, but we're still doing it. So if you then, you know, back up and say, how many people are doing genetics on cannabis? It's abysmal. Like the amount of me, is, is there's so much to learn. So it's exciting. Tell me about the complexity, the complexity of corn versus cannabis. I mean, I'm sure that corn is more complex than I think, but I don't think it's as complex as cannabis, is it? You know, it's not anymore because we have so much information. Okay. But okay. corn is a very good parallel because it's also, it outcrosses. Okay. Which is another, you know, thing. It's got a lot of variation. It comes from a hyper diverse teosinte in um, populations in Mexico. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Teosinte um, populations in Mexico are exceptionally diverse. And the thing is, we've just had so much time to work on corn that we understand it, and we have a lot of um, very homogenous lines, so that we can do really good genetic experiments to understand where traits are coming from. And so those are resources we don't have in cannabis. Yeah. We don't have homogenous inbred lines. We just yeah. haven't had the time to generate them. And those are the kinds of like tools, genetic tools you need to be able to do the genetic work that helps you understand like the systems that are driving phenotype within an organism. And so we're, we'll get there, but it's a lot of work. Um, and and it's and you know when we talk about genetic tools, I think there's there's a lot of non-understanding about what that means. It's not only like I understand what genes and what alleles are driving THC production. It's also tools like I have all of these plants that don't produce THC or produce it weird or do all these crazy things, so that then I can understand what are the what are the levers that actually move that trait around and realizing. Very few traits are single gene traits. Mm-hmm. Most traits mm-hmm. like height and color and chemistry are these interconnected networks of genes, right? So if you move one, it changes the whole web. If you do another one, it changes the whole web. And then it's not just the genes, it's the promoter regions. And then you have things like we know in corn, you have entire like land races or or groups of corn that let's let's say that on the second chromosome we normally have a b c but if you look at some corn it's not a b c it's a c b because there's been a translocation or an inversion in the chromosome where whole chunks of the chromosome which may have hundreds of genes are inverted and i'm sure we're going to find this in cannabis but we just don't know enough Like we don't have these tools to even know. So sometimes you cross things together and weird stuff happens. And it could be because now you're missing genes because you have these, you have one plant that has the translocation and another one that doesn't. And so 
you're totally in the dark as to what's driving that phenotype. So it's really exciting as a geneticist because like a frontier kind of mentality, right? Like horror yeah. kind of mentality. Um, and there's just so much work to do. And it's going I imagine, to I imagine that, um, and this is the story that I'm writing in my mind, because as I think that you could probably get farmers who would lean in and say, okay, I want to find out, I'm just going to do sex testing on these. And you sell them. You know what? It doesn't, after you're taking all these samples, it doesn't cost that much more to do a little bit more than sex testing. Like, let us do a little bit more for you. And I imagine that you have customers who maybe try it once and are like, yeah, that was good information, but this just isn't for me. But I'll bet that you have farmers and you can tell. You can tell when you have that customer that the light goes on in their head and they go, I want to know more. I want to know more. And then, so I imagine that your good customers are your best customers and your not good customers are just transient and come and go. But the people who want to know. We're actually really lucky. We have an exceptionally high return customer rate. Our issue is finding people. But once we work with someone, we have like an 80% return customer rate. People are happy with what they get, which is lovely. That is the best thing is what we strive for. Yes. Um, You know, I want you to be happy with what we're doing. We're actually here to serve you. We're here to do good work and to serve you. And that's one of the things that is really exciting about all of this genetics and proprietary and how do you how do you protect things that people have been holding for a really long time it's really that cultivar registration it's taking in that plant making pressings of that plant doing some genetics on that plant and making a dossier of information that then that farmer or that cultivator or uh, breeder has that they can speak to the world about their plant they can protect it if it comes up in any kind of situation and it's something that is just so rote in botany, you know, if you breed a new form of apple, like everyone knows what a gala apple is. Everyone knows what a granny Smith apple is. Like if you say I'm giving you a granny Smith apple and I, you know, blindfold you and slip you a piece of Fuji, you're like, that's not a granny Smith. I know what a granny Smith is. We're not there in cannabis yet. Right. There are very few, there are people who are exceptionally, in tune cultivator connoisseurs, but there's such a small handful of those individuals that can smell something or look at something and really know what its evolutionary history is, what that plant is. And that's education. And one of the things that that cultivar registration does is it's a tool that can help you educate your audience, your customers. If you're a breeder, it's your customers are probably growers or cultivators Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. you can use to really, and and it's, it's an important way of protecting IP. Yeah, and it's just fundamental. Sure. So that's one of the the services that really helps to do that. Um, yeah, there's so much. There's so there's so much to it, and I think uh, it feels like now is the time. Like whatever time it is, now is the time. If you think you have something special, if you know you have something special, if you know you have something different, get that recorded. Get that get that stake in the ground, get that marker developed so that you can refer back to it as you continue the genetics work, but also as you move forward in a more crowded landscape with people. I mean, if it's good, somebody's going to want to take it. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing, especially (laughs) if you have plants that are unique and special and you're continuing to work on them, 
if you go to the I, if you go to the patent office, you need to prove to them that you have done work. The easiest way to do that is to say, these are my original plants. And these are the plants I've spent 10 years breeding. So that's mm-hmm. why if you document early. So I've documented this in 2000 and I've been mm-hmm. breeding and breeding and breeding. And now it's 2022. I can actually show that I have done work and now I can get a patent. Mm-hmm. So there's, mm-hmm. there's lots of utility there. Like it's the proof in the pudding in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And nobody's going to take your word for it. And nobody's, I mean, your notebooks are good, but your notebooks aren't going to have the same value in that conversation. There's as a nothing material documented. in a notebook, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's no plant mm-hmm. in a notebook. Mm-hmm. And so that's mm-hmm. why a voucher is so important because it's the physical proof. Yeah. There's something that feels so good. And I, I resonate with you so much because I can tell when you're speaking about this, number one, that you're passionate and very well informed and very knowledgeable, but it feels so good to have a product that you know is going to help your customers. That's such a good feeling. You know what I mean? I can't, really I can't, I can't really sell somebody is. a gold brick. I, I don't want to sell ice to Eskimos. I don't that doesn't provide any joy or satisfaction or sense of purpose in my little world. I want to be a helper. I want to help you. I want to have something. You have a nail. I've got a hammer. Look at this. And it feels great. It It feels feels great. Yes. Where do you see it going? Tell me, you and I are having this conversation in two years. What's different? And please say it has something to do with mushrooms because I'm stoked about mushrooms. Oh, all of the work that we're doing in cannabis, there's parallels there. I I mean, that's a whole world of, and it's not just the mushrooms. It's iboga. It's ayahuasca. It's a lot of the cacti, you know, and and one of my main issues is a lot of those plants are endangered. Yes. And so the idea of going and ripping them out of their native place is, is challenging on multiple levels it's challenging because of the like biopiracy aspect where you're really Mm -hmm. um culturally appropriating powerful medicines from communities that have been again stewarding those plants forever and so my main push with a lot of those psychedelics and um big power medicinal plants is how do we cultivate them because we don't want to be ripping them out of their native environments and decimating the variation that we see because they make us feel good. Like that is a huge issue that I have that I'm really starting to speak more about because I just, people are so excited. It's not, it's not based on malice, right? It's just, there's so much excitement. There's not this context of like, Oh, wait a minute, we should maybe take a step back and really figure out how to do this with um, the minimal footprint on the plant. So I'm like the plant advocate, (laughs) you know, I love it. How, how the human interacts with that plant. And so how do we protect those plant populations so that they're healthy and they maintain and they continue to give us all of the gifts that they have. And in order to do that, we need to really protect them. Um, mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I always like to speak about is the work I do with United Plant Savers. It's an organization that's really, its core mission is protecting, serving and protecting the medicinal plant community. And so that's an organization that I think everyone who's into cannabis and psychedelics in general should become aware of because they're doing that work to make sure that those plants and those communities that steward those plants are really 
um, given the tools and the resources to maintain healthy populations and grow those populations because, you know, life, roads, shopping centers have decimated so many things. It's, it's a really good perspective to think about how do you call that destruction while still growing a very exciting industry. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's a little yeah. bit of a tangent, but it's a really important one to me. <laughs> That's a super important tangent. That's a super important tangent. If people are doing um, any breeding studies on non-cannabis plants, is that, could they They reach out to you for service? Yeah. They should? Yeah. Okay. Okay, mushroom people. You heard it here. You got a fancy cube. You want to talk to Eleanor about that, I feel like. Um, And it's also the same documentation, right? Like understanding diversity, understanding all of that is, is exceptionally important. And again, if you're documenting, I have these things, it then becomes much more difficult for large multinational organizations that may want to come in and claim things to do that when there's documentation that they are not the sole holders of that material. Mm-hmm. It's protective. I love that. I love that. I'm, I'm super excited. Tell me about um, the event that we just figured out that we're both going to tonight. Um, talk to me about when you take this show on the road and meet with breeders at, at mixers like this. Um, what are some of the questions that come up and, and what are some of the conversations like that you have? Yeah, for me, it's really always about how can I help you with what you're doing? So if you're moving your own populations forward and you know that you've got groups that have trait A and trait B and you want to segregate those traits into various populations or you want to get rid of B, those are things that we can really dive down into with you and help just speed up your process so that it's more efficient. So that's a conversation I always have. I always go back to the herbarium and vouchering because it's it's not in its, that's really the love project. And, you know, it's not something we make money on, but it's so, so important. So the thing that you do for free is the thing that's most exciting to you. Yeah, which is the irony of life sometimes. Isn't it? Okay. Still got to put food on the table, but it's so important. It's it's really fundamental. It's 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 critical. And so it has to be done. And like I said, you know, when we were doing all the herb work, you go to an herbarium and when we're doing cannabis, it's like that resource doesn't exist. And oh, the USDA destroyed all of their hemp samples during prohibition. Like how short-sighted was that? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It, it's really building something that will hopefully serve the community for decades to come and will grow into something that is much bigger than us and that a larger, you know, botanical organization could take over and and run once they're really allowed to do that with the lessening of federal shenanigans around <laughs> plants. Right. No, right. and so it's it's really about using building a tool that serves not only the scientific community, but the the plant community that has stewarded the plants along the way. Mm-hmm. So those are things we definitely always talk about. And then there's people who really are, you know, I got something special. I want to do some genetics. I want to run for IP. And we are the organization that's really the most suited to do that work with our background in botanical identification and just the diversity that we have access to and have documented. I love it. I love it. I'm excited about that. Eleanor, tell me all the different ways people can be in touch with you, be in touch with LeafWorks. Yeah. So, I, you know, the community really loves Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. And so we are LeafWorks. We love Instagram. Today. We love Instagram like a 
woman with a crazy boyfriend who keeps going back. I That's know. There's a little dysfunction there, but you know. They're not good to us. They're not good to us, Eleanor. Doggone it. Why couldn't, why couldn't Elon have bought Instagram instead of Twitter? That's I, know, I know. I know. I <laughs> know. But Instagram, what are you on Instagram? Um, we're LeafWorks DNA. Okay. LeafWorks DNA on Instagram. And our website is leafworks.com. And there's a lot of information there. And yeah, you can email us at info at leafworks.com. And you can always get me at Eleanor at leafworks.com. And you spell leafworks like leafworks, not a cannabis funky spelling. There's no, no funky P-A-S-W-O-R-K-S. <laughs> yep. Um, I love it. Eleanor, you you came recommended to me from um from my friends at the Beard Bros. They speak so highly of you and your service. And that is that is something to be said because they just um, are not going to say that unless they really mean it. They have no, um, there's no sugarcoating with those boys, which is what I appreciate. Me and, too. <laughs> and, they, and they love what you're doing. And I think that that, you know, that level of credibility in the industry is hard to come by. I know that you value it and I know that you're going to work to, to maintain that and improve it. And that gives me a level of confidence in your service that um, that's just really valuable. So um, I am so excited to meet you this afternoon when we get ready for this event. And I hope that people reach out. I know that I've got folks who are going to hear this and are going to give it a try. And I'm excited for them. And this is like anything else, like the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. Yes. The best time to plant a tree is today. Every every time I go to put a carb in my mouth, I think about that saying, I'm planting a tree today. I'm not going to have that muffin. But, but you know, the, the best time to have started documenting the legacy genetics work that you were doing was a long time ago. The second best time is today. It's not too late to do it today, but get it done. Get that. I just feel like it's like planting a flag you know, get that, get that marker planted so that you have what you have, get your arms around what you have today. And then let's move forward in a way that, that protects you and protects the good stewardship, um, that you've been doing. So protect those plants. I mean, that's one of the things that Mm -hmm. is so important to me is maintaining diversity, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want to be in a situation where there's only two apples at the grocery store. No, you know, we want to have really access don't. to all different kinds of cannabis, in particular, the the cannabis that has high medicinal value that maybe is a little challenging to grow and doesn't have a big market, quote unquote, potential. Mm. Uh, I think that's also exceptionally important and is fundamental in documentation. Um, so we really mm-hmm. maintain as opposed to losing the immense amount of diversity that, you know, the fractionated market has really generated, you know, and that's a that's a beautiful outcome of prohibition there's very few good things but that is one good thing that really came out of prohibition is the immense amount of diversity that we have because we weren't able to share right because we weren't able to share so a lot of it developed and i do think that that's exciting and and i know that um i believe that there will always be a market that there are some people who are going big and that's awesome if you can pull it off, but leaning into small, leaning into small, you know, people come to me all the time and say, I grow fire weed. 
I, I can't, I can't keep it on the shelf. Like I sell everything that I grow and it's awesome. I want to scale up. And I'm like, if you can sell everything that you grow, keep doing what you're doing. Just stay put. You don't need to be the biggest. You need to be selling your capacity. That's awesome. And so there's also this idea that I, I know that quality, I know that quality is always going to have a place in the market. And one of the ways that you can vouch for your quality is with all of the testing, all of the testing, right? So I hope people lean in. I want to give you huge props because you've done this entire interview with a two-year-old on your lap. And um, you've managed to keep her exceptionally happy during this whole time. And I think that that just says a lot about you and who you are. And um, you're just a capable human being, Eleanor. I've known you for an hour and I'm here for all of it. I'm here for it. Awesome. Well, I have enjoyed this so, so much. It's so, so nice to just talk shop with someone who's interested in all this nuance. So I appreciate it. All right, Eleanor. Eleanor Coons from LeafWorks. Uh, check it out. And I really appreciate the conversation today. Me too. Um, also, can we talk offline for one second? Yeah, I'm going to hit stop. Hi everyone, it's Kat here. I recently had such a great customer service experience, I had to share it with you. I was getting ready to attend the Extraction Expo with my podcast, and I literally had nothing. No business cards, table drape, no pop-up. Really nothing. Truthfully, I only had a very modest logo that my wonderful husband made for the show. It was great, but it didn't fit right on Instagram, and I just really didn't know how to work with it. I remembered being in Oklahoma City with Propane Jane during the first hash fight, and she had all of this cool swag. I asked her who she used, and she sent me to label my bud. I reached out to Ryan on September 13th. You guys. By September 25th, my table drape, pop-up banner, stickers two ways, and fantastic t-shirts in an assortment of sizes and colors were all shipped. And all of this was with my new fantastic logo that took the theme that my loving husband had designed and made something that I could really work with on various platforms. 12 days shipped. The best part is the whole package was under my very modest budget. I've worn a lot of logos to a lot of shows and it was so much fun to wear my own. This is the first time that I was in my own branded booth. The level of engagement I had with people on the show floor was so much higher. My booth at a glance was completely understandable and everyone knew what I was up to. I completely took that level of branding and polish for granted at the last couple of shows I went to. I thought if I was smiling behind a mic, it would just make sense to people. This was so much better. I'm absolutely a customer of Label My Bud for life. Ryan and his team of artists and production professionals took such good care of me and Jane. I know they will you too. Reach out to Label My Bud on Instagram or check out labelmybud.com. See why brands like Hashfight, Straight Organics, Buddy's Brand, and Native Made trust Label My Bud. For that matter, brands like Chat with Sidco Cat. 
Here's how much I appreciate Label My Bud. This isn't a paid advertisement. It's just me telling you that I got excellent service, and I think you will too. If you need slaps, t-shirts, booth decor, socks, lighters, packaging, and more, do yourself a favor and start with Label My Bud. You'll get all of the service with none of the green tax. Tell them cats sent you.